Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love. Let's stand as we sing. Oh, Jesus, who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, by the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, by the glory. Revive us again. Today you're going to hear a lot about joy. As we begin our service together, we're going to sing How Great Our Joy. It's hymn 202, hymn 202. Let's stand together as we sing. together and uh, and then we'll worship uh, continue our worship father we are we are very grateful this morning for uh, the mercies and the grace that you have given to us that is a new today father that is full of opportunity and that's full of potential to, to, to offer worship and to just serve you father uh, to expand your kingdom through the preaching of the gospel uh, father we thank you for this day that's set aside for worship father I thank you for those that are in attendance father there are no accidents this morning and we are all here for divine purpose and and interaction. And so, Father, may what we offer you this morning uh, in the form of worship be pleasing to you. May it it be accepting to you. May may you receive it, Father, with with faith. God, I thank you for the joy that that we uh, experience through uh, a relationship with Christ. 
Uh, Father, regardless of the circumstances that that surround us in our world, Father, we have this inner joy that comes from having uh, a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that regardless of what's going on, we know that everything's going to be okay. So, Father, thank you for that joy. Thank you for the unity and the, and the, and the, the harmony that you give to your people through your spirit. And so, Father, as, as this service now con- continues, may the reading of your word be blessed. Father, may the, the prayers and the gifts of your people be blessed. And, Father, may you be glorified by all that's said and done in this hour. And we pray this in Christ's name. And amen. Today we will relight the first candles of the Advent wreath, the candle of hope and the candle of peace. Now we light the third candle of Advent. This is the candle of joy. As the coming of Jesus, our Savior, draws nearer, our joy builds with our anticipation of his birth. From the book of Isaiah, we read the words of our Lord. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. Isaiah 65, 18. From the words of Paul to the people of the church at Galatia, we also read, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. When the staff gathered for their Christmas party this week, we had a little trivia game, and one of the questions was, what was the best-selling hymn of all time? And everybody thought, Silent Night, Silent Night. It's joy to the world, the Lord has come. And it was, uh, of course, Handel wrote the music to this. So this hymn has been around for a long time. So as we think about this Advent season and celebrating the joy of Christmas, let's sing with joy in our hearts, joy to the world. The Lord has come. May we stand.
Wow, amen. Y'all go ahead and have a seat. This just beautiful song kind of ushers in our text today from the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. A very powerful um, messianic prophecy um, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ uh, from the book of Isaiah reads this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen, church. May the word of God be read in the house of God this morning. We're so grateful today to have as our musical guest, Chuck Doss. He's going to be singing for us in just a moment and a few minutes in the service. And and again, we're so grateful to the praise team for leading. And we're glad again to have Kaiser Harris, who is helping us uh, in our praise team. And, of course, we're always grateful for Tammy and Kelly and all the praise team that help us lead each and every week. Great Christmas hymn. Let's sing together. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This is our offertory hymn. May we stand as we sing.
I'm sure he must have been surprised at where this road had taken him. Cause never in a million lives would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come alive. And Joseph thought, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not one. Second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. To think of how it should have been if Jesus had come as he deserved. There would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly shepherds at his birth. But Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far. And as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have felt why. I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Oh, I hear inside this stable filled with hay. Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say. This is such a strange way to save the world. Oh, 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 oh. Now I'm not one. To second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. This is such a strange way, such a strange way, oh, a strange way to save the
right, amen. Appreciate that, Brother Chuck, and all of the musicians, and uh, all of the specials, and, and, and all of the gifts and talents that uh, were offered to the Lord this morning. Thank you all for, for what, you've given, what you've given the Lord. We're going to be turning in our Bibles this morning, the book of Exodus, chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning with me in them. Exodus 19, I'm going to read to you just a few verses concerning the Mosaic Covenant. That is, our, that is top three on this covenant road. Um, as I went to bed last night, I was thinking about this covenant road. And, um, and you know, last week I compared it a little bit to a road trip um, and, and kind of how the Noahic Covenant kind of got us in the car and, and uh, the Abrahamic Covenant kind of got us, you know, moving. Uh, after, that, after last week's sermon, somebody stopped me at the door and said, you know, maybe, maybe the better title instead of Covenant Road, maybe the better title for the sermon series should be Are We There Yet? Because uh, that's typically what we always ask about this time in the trip, right? Are we there yet? Uh, you know, no, we're not. We got, we got the Mosaic Covenant today. I'm going to cover just briefly the Davidic Covenant on Christmas Eve uh, as, we, as we introduce the new covenant of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning. That's the whole point. All of these covenants of the Old Testament, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Davidic, uh, the Mosaic today, they, they all point. They all serve as road signs to Christ. Uh, he fulfills them all. And so that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. I want to look at verses 5 through 8 of, the cha- of chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. So if you'll stand with me, I'd love to read God's word with you um, in honor of it by standing, giving it its rightful place, because nothing will be said this morning. Whether it's from my lips or from the songs of, or from the lips of singers or from the musicians, nothing will be more consequential than what we're about to read right now. It is God's word, and his word is preeminent in all things. Amen. Let's read together Exodus 19, beginning in verse 5. God says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all things, uh, all, the, all, the, all these words, rather, which the Lord commanded him. And then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning as having just read your word. Father, I pray thou that as your word has been read in the assembling of your saints, may it be blessed in Jesus' name and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, on a personal note, the Mosaic Covenant is probably one of my favorites of all of the covenants. And I know that may sound a little bit boring. I don't know. Most of the time, the Mosaic Covenant is the least favorite of, of, of most people because it's, it's law. It's, it's, it covers a lot of, of subject matter. It's very broad. Like, you know, last week, or week, two weeks ago, the Noahic covenant was really simple. Uh, it was a covenant that God made with mankind after the flood. Um, last week, Abrahamic covenant, really just three parts, the land, um, the, the blessing, and, and the, the descendants, and all those kinds of things. This week, the Mosaic Covenant actually covers six chapters of law. And I say that that's succinctly. 
It covers six, six chapters in general. It's actually very, very broad and covers a very large swath of the Old Testament. And it does so for a reason, because it was a comprehensive covenant. It was, it was, very, it was very detailed. It was very specific. And so it had to cover a, a lot of, uh, of, of, of important subjects. But it's my favorite because as we begin to get toward the end of this message, we're going we're to find out that, that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the, the, the details of the Mosaic law, even in its complexity and its entirety. And only God could have done something so magnificent as take hundreds of laws and fulfill every single one of them with precision and accuracy. Only God could have done that. Because as we're going to find out, that was one of the requirements for Messiah. Now, basically, in your, in your bulletin, you'll see the outline. The, the Mosaic Covenant, I broke it down into three parts. There's a lot of parts, a lot of moving parts to the Mosaic Covenant. But I just want to look at three things that we just read from our text this morning that kind of outline and kind of lay out what the Mosaic Covenant involved. The first thing that is important to know about the, holy, about the, the, the Mosaic Covenant is that God wanted Israel to be holy. He wanted them to be a holy nation, okay? He, he wanted Israel as, as a people of his own, and he said this a couple times in our text this morning. He wanted his people to stand out from all of the other nations of the world. He wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be unique, and he was going to use his law to accomplish that. He wanted his law... The law of Moses, the Mosaic law, all of the thou shalt and thou shalt nots. He wanted all of that to make them holy. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But the purpose of the law was to put up guardrails to protect God's people from injury, from harm. He wanted the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots to be a, a mechanism that produced or achieved holiness. Now, understand in all of this that the, that the, that the law wasn't designed to acquire holiness. It was designed to achieve holiness. And what does that mean? Because that's, that sounds like a, a kind of a paradox imploding on itself. Well, the law in and of itself, the nature of the law, is designed to, to do two things. Inform and punish those who break it. If you are looking at the law objectively, it, it is designed to inform you of what not to do. And then it is informed to punish you if you do break the law. Those who are obeying the law, it's of no consequence. Let me analogize it for you. You're driving down the road and you pass a sign that says 55 miles per hour speed limit. Okay? Everybody knows that's the law. If you, ex if, if you exceed that, that sign is there to inform you that you're breaking the law. And the consequence thereof is to get pulled over and get a speeding ticket. That's the design of it, the nature of the law. If, however, you're driving along and you're doing 55 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour or whatever the case may be, then you are obeying the law. It's of no consequence to you. But the law exists. Its design is to keep you from harm. If you go too fast, 
If you drive too, too recklessly or whatever, you could injure yourself and you could injure other people. So the law exists, right? It's not designed to make you holy. It's designed to achieve holiness in your life by obeying it. Okay, now this will be this will be more important here in a little while as we get to uh, understanding how Jesus fulfills the law. But in the end, the, 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 the law or those who obey the law experience life. They experience liberty. They experience blessing. Those who break the law receive bondage. They receive punishment. And this was the purpose for the holiness exhibited or elicited from the Mosaic law. The second thing God wanted his people to be was he wanted them to be a priestly nation. And I, I, I kind of, this kind of comes out in verse six. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, the, the design of this, the whole point to, 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 to God's priestly ideas and concepts is that he wanted his people to obey the law. And in order for there to be laws and to, for everybody to know them and all those kinds of things, there had to be mediators of the law, people who worked between God and the nation. Those people were called priests. They were the ones who mediated the law. Now, in its entirety, the Mosaic law has 613 laws, just the Mosaic law, right? Now, after the Mosaic law and priests got kind of trigger happy and they got kind of proud and they got kind of arrogant and they got kind of power hungry and all that kind of stuff. They radicalized, they fundamentalized the law and now it consists of volumes of books. Orthodox Jews don't necessarily adhere to just the Mosaic law. They adhere to the entire law, which is thousands of laws. Okay? Priests, though, their responsibility of the priests were to facilitate or mediate the law. These were moral laws. These were civil laws. These were ceremonial laws. All of these laws were designed to govern life in the promised land. It's no different than our laws here in the United States. Our laws are designed to make us experience or allow us the freedom to experience life liberty and the pursuit of happiness the laws exist for those things the laws the law of moses exists to govern life in the promised land and so these priests god would use to oversee the implementation and the facilitation of the law it's quite boring for most people but for those who were living under the law, it was, it was a celebration. It was, it was what made them unique. The third thing about this, about the Mosaic law, was that it was codified. What I mean is codified as it was written down and summarized in the Ten Commandments, right? That's what we all, we all know. We know the Ten Commandments really well, right? Hopefully you can name them all by memory, from beginning to end, right? Anybody do that? Anybody want to stand up and do that right now? Kidding. But the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments summarize the entirety of the law, right? The first four are, are, are concerning the relationship between God and the individual or the nation. The last six pertain to relationships between people and people. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make or serve or bow down to any idols. You shall not take my Lord, the, the Lord's name in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. 
You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against one another. And you shall not covet. Those ten, all of the law, the entirety of it, the hundreds of laws that make up the, the, the Mosaic covenant can be summarized in one way or another in those ten. That was the whole point. God took his finger and he wrote it in the rock, made it two tablets out of it called, you know, we, we watch this movie every Christmas, the Ten Commandments, and you hear the voice of God and you see the fire come down and, and then he hewn those out of the stone and he gives them to Moses and he says, now go and give these to your people. But God intended for the law to be simple. He intended for the law to be understandable. He intended for it to be not overly complicated, but easy enough to keep. Of course, as Moses descended Mount Sinai, he found his people in full rebellion. He throws the the tablets at the golden calf and God makes two more, which were put into the Ark of the Covenant. But that codified. It it wrote the law of God on stone for the people to have so that they would know how to be blessed by God in the promised land. Now, what does that mean for us? This is the second part. So the the first part exists. It's a mosaic law. it's, it's, It's complicated, but yet simple. What does it mean for me and you? What does it mean for the New Testament Christian living in 2022? Because we don't want to be bored to death with all the details. Well, the three things that I kind of drawed out of it or drawn out of it or whatever the correct grammar is to that were were three things the first one is works the the mosaic covenant is a covenant of works now what does that mean well it means that as you as you took the ten commandments and you took the law of god you had to exert effort to keep the law you had to willfully work in order for for the law to be obeyed and kept at every corner you can remember, unlike the Noahic and unlike the Abrahamic covenant, God kept those, uh, those uh, uh, covenants to himself. He said, these are going to take place regardless of whether you keep this or not. The Mosaic covenant is the first time we see God asking for participation in the covenant. It's kind of like going to the bank and, and getting a loan for a car. Right? The bank sits down and draws up the terms Uh, the agreement, if you will, the covenant. You sit down and you agree to those terms and then both of you work out the terms of that agreement. The bank puts up the money and then you agree to pay the bank back all of that money. That's the way the law of Moses worked as well. God provided, or God promised rather, to do the work of protecting and providing and blessing the nation of Israel. God said, look, if, if you keep your end of the bargain, if you keep the law and, 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 and you do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to take care of you. It's quite a beautiful picture indeed, actually, because God could have chosen anybody out of the world. He chose the Jews. He chose the Israelites, the seed of Abraham. And he said, you do this and I'll do this. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a law of works. The most obvious way that this was, I guess the most visual way that this was, was, was done, or this works anyway, was through the annual sacrifices. And again, so we start getting in the weeds, we start yawning, and we start doing all those kinds of things. But hang with me here. Because the works at, that, that were worked out in the sacrifices were important. They, they were for the forgiveness of sin. 
right? If you were a Jew in the Old Testament and, and you wanted forgiveness of your sins, then every year on, on, on the Day of Atonement, you needed to bring an animal or some kind to the, to the priest so that they could sacrifice that thing so that you could find forgiveness. The high priest did it for the nation of Israel when he took a lamb without spot, an unblemished lamb, and he sacrificed it for the nation itself for the forgiveness of all the sins of the nation. That happened on the Day of Atonement every single year. The sacrificial system was designed to elicit holiness, but it had to be worked out in the participation of the people. The giver must participate with God in order to keep the law. Now understand by its very nature, I mean, I go back, it doesn't doesn't create holiness. It's incapable of creating holiness. And this was Paul's really, this was his issue when he wrote to the Romans and to the Galatians and to the Colossians and to the Hebrews. This was his issue was that the law was never designed to save, only illicit holiness. For the New Testament believer, we have the same understanding. It's not the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots that save you. They're not capable of saving you because it's all law. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says this, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the the very image of those things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year year by year, make those who approach it perfect. Doesn't matter how many laws you obey. Doesn't matter how many thou shalt and thou shalt not you adhere to. Only faith in Christ can elicit holiness for the New Testament believer. And this is a huge thing, especially when we get to uh, more of, of Christ in a minute. That, that the law, obeying the law, saying at the end of the day, you know what? I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, I, I, I don't kill and I don't use drugs and I, I, I don't cheat on my spouse and I, I don't and you rattle off all of these don'ts well that doesn't matter in the law because all you're doing is trying to warrant or earn favor from God and that was Paul's issue especially with the Galatians he said no that's not how this works not anymore anyway Yeah, in the Old Testament, you had to to have your sacrifice in order to get forgiveness of sins. Didn't make you perfect, but it wiped the slate clean with God. He atoned for, passed over your sin. He didn't hold it to your account. That's basically what's going on here in these works. The second thing was that this covenant is conditional. This is a this is a huge phrase, and I actually I actually wrote Deuteronomy chapter thirty verses eight through ten down. And I'm not going to read it all. If you want to read it on your own, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good to read, probably especially as it pertains to the conditional arrangement because that's what the Mosaic Covenant was. It was an arrangement, a conditional one, between God and Israel. God agreed to keep his end of the bargain, but it was up to the people to keep their end of the bargain. Now, nothing has changed, by the way, in this Mosaic Covenant. Nothing has changed in, in the history of, of the Mosaic Covenant. It's only been fulfilled. It's only been ratified when Christ came and died on the cross. The details of the contract were worked out. God promised to keep his end of the deal. And if we look at the history of Israel, we know that they didn't keep their end of the deal. I mean, my goodness, if we pause and we just appreciate this in a modern context... 
we can see the people of God in Israel doing things that are unspeakable. Not keeping their end of the deal. I mean, some of the things that Ezekiel saw going on in the temple of God make you sick. And I wonder, as I pause and appreciate as a pastor, as I look upon 2000 and modern Christianity, I look at the churches today, and I see the same things going on in our churches today. I see some things happening in our churches today that don't elicit holiness. They elicit judgment. That's where the real caveat comes into all of this. That's why the law is important. Right? Christ even said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He didn't do away with the law. He just fulfilled it all in himself. And we'll get to more of this. But why? Why do the people of God, if they have the promise of the blessing of God, why do they seek other sources of satisfaction and hope? When God has said, come, come to me in faith, I will bless you. I will make you holy. I will give you everything you need. But for somehow, for some reason, we always look back at God and say, well, that's just not good enough. We, we always think we need more. We always think we need this and that and the other. When God says, I'm here, come and see. That's the true crime of the Mosaic Covenant. As the people of Israel failed to keep their end of the bargain, God still required full payment of the conditions of the terms of the contract. Just like your car. If you fail to keep your end of the deal when you buy your car, the bank will still require full payment of that car. It's called repossession. They will still come and they still require the contract to be honored. And this is what happened to the nation of Israel. They neglected the law. They fundamentalized it. They radicalized it. And God eventually required full payment. And that was called judgment. The conditional nature of this thing is what makes it so important. If you look back down at your Bibles, verse 5, you'll see the third word is the smallest word in the entire text of today. But it is the biggest word. Now, therefore, if you will keep my commandments, it's a big if, isn't it? Sounds so good in theory. Oh, and on paper, we look at this and be like, what was wrong with Israel? What, what happened? I mean, all they had to do is keep the law for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, all they had to do indeed. Amen. All they had to do indeed. And they messed it up. And here we are, 2,000, well, in this case, almost 4,000 years removed, or 3,000, rather, from the covenant. Under a new covenant, Jesus Christ, salvation, redemption, grace, mercy, blessing, eternal life, all of these things have come to us, and yet here we are as a church, ambassadors for Christ, mucking it up again. We should be very careful about the conditional nature of these things. That's why Jesus, why Jesus says in the New Testament, don't, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, don't make promises to God you can't keep, especially if you don't intend to, because he will still require full payment of that yes. He will. The third thing, 
is this practical application. Is the, the law, anyway, was designed for us, for us as Christians, as New Testament. We look back on the Old Covenant and we're like, do we still have to not eat pork? I mean, I know this is a big deal in the South. How many, pork, how many barbecue places we have in town? Amen. Praise God, we're not held to the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We all like pork, like bacon. Amen. Praise the Lord. The meat shop had a sale the other day of, of, of pork. And the line was out the door. So we like our pork here in the South. But the practical nature of the, of the law of Moses was designed for a very specific reason. It was designed to give life. Right? And that's really the, I mean, if you look at the, the, the other parts of it, that's the theological component. This was the practical nature of it. This was the, the day in and the day out. You get up and you go to bed. You're under the, 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 the law. And it's a, how do you work it out? Well, the law governed things like diet. It was called kosher. Uh, you couldn't eat certain things and you were only allowed to eat others. It covered things like attire. Dare say we probably need to take a look at this one again in a modern world. I mean, it does. In fact, it even addresses issues like men wearing women's clothing and women wearing men's clothing. Who would have thought back 3,000 years ago this would have been addressed? Probably applicable to a modern world again. It addressed modesty. Another modern issue we probably could regain and, and look at again and readdress. It addressed hygiene. Taking care of oneself physically, right? It, it addressed all of those things. It even addressed attitude, how you were supposed to interact with one another, especially foreigners. If you were a Jew and a foreigner came into your town, it can govern how you were supposed to treat that person. It's amazing how many things that the Mosaic law applied to. Its whole purpose, though, was to make the average life of the Jew blessed. It was designed to elicit a, a, a high quality of life because that's God's desire. Thus, he designed all of this to be his best. And I know, like, I know, I know people always have looked at God's laws as, as, as ways in which God takes fun out of our lives and he makes us miserable with his laws and you can't do this, you can't do that. When in fact, God's laws are, desired, are designed rather to keep us safe to keep us healthy, to keep us from loss and injury. That's the way the law was designed. It's still, it's still the same, right? Whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, God's laws are always best for us, and they're always designed to keep us safe and protect us. Now, let's get to the last part, because this is where the rubber meets the road, if you will. How did Jesus, when we light the, the candles of, of Advent and we are expecting as we draw close to December the 25th, how does Christ fulfill the Mosaic covenant? How does Christmas have anything to do with what happened in Egypt 3,000 years ago? Well, the first way is that Jesus came to fulfill the, the requirements of the law. And this is where it really gets exciting for me because I really, I'm, I'm amazed. My jaw just drops open every time I, 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 I discover new ways in which Christ fulfilled the law, right? Because this is, really, this is really the exciting part because in our humanity, it's good for us to remember this morning that the law in and of itself is and was impossible to keep. 
at least in its entirety. I mean, 613 laws, mosaically speaking, and then all the thousands. It was crazy. And Jesus took many opportunities in his ministry to rebuke that law. He even said to the Pharisees one time, you wash the outside of your cup, but the inside of your cup is filthy. You hypocrites. Well, why did he bring that up? Well, because it was a law that said the outside of your cup had to be clean. Pharisees rebuking Jesus and his disciples for grabbing heads of wheat, the little the wheat off of the top of the stalk, calling it farming on the Sabbath. They'd, they'd, they'd radicalized it. They'd fundamentalized it to a, such a degree where nobody could keep it. It became a burden. How about that? It became a burden. Then Jesus comes along, and Paul reminds us in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned. And have fallen short of the glory of God. James chapter 2 verse 10 says. For whoever shall keep the whole law. Yet stumble at one point. He is guilty of the entire law. Now that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty drastic. That's pretty stark. That's pretty, that's pretty large. So as New Testament Christians. It's good for us to remember that. It's impossible for us. It was impossible to them. To keep the law. Thus securing our own salvation. We needed help in that, in that cause. So Jesus comes into the world and he tells the world, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. What did he mean? Well, he knew that the law was designed to elicit holiness, but wasn't able to accomplish it fully. That the only way for holiness to be truly accomplished was through a sacrifice. You ever remember this from the Mosaic law? The mosaic, the only way that holiness could come to the people was through a sacrifice. And Jesus knew this. Jesus then became that sacrifice. That's why we call him the Lamb of God. The sinless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that he was in all ways tempted as we were, yet without sin. So Jesus and the requirements of the law, the requirements of the law demanded all of this. And so if someone violated the law, that was called sin. And we know too that the wages of sin is what? Death. So without help, without hope for holiness, you and I are deserving of an eternal death. But listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. So it's because of Christ and his fulfillment of the requirements by dying on the cross for salvation was holiness possible for his people. But they didn't stop there. He didn't just fulfill the requirements for the law. He also, as the Lamb of God, satisfied the law. Just like your bank. You go into the bank and get your car. You got all kinds of things that you have to obey. Or you're in default. The law required the same thing. It had to be satisfied for sin to be paid in full. So as sin made possible, the opportunity to Christ come into the world, salvation, 
made the law obsolete. Think about this. The law existed. It had requirements. Christ comes. He's the Lamb of God. He dies. He fulfills the law. And then at that point, the law becomes obsolete to you and I. It no longer has authority over us. In a word, the law's demands have been satisfied in Christ's obedience to the cross. Listen to Paul's words to the Galatian. The law has no power over me. I mean, stop and appreciate that. You and I are not under the bondage of the law anymore. The law has no power over me. I am dead to the law. Now I can live for God. I have been put on the cross to die with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live is this body. I live by putting my trust in the Son of God. He was the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I say we are not put aside the loving favor of God. If we could be made right by God by keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. So the whole purpose, the whole point to Christ coming and dying on the cross was to satisfy the law too so that it no longer had dominion and power over your life. We don't have to walk around anymore under the bondage of the law. We now walk around in the celebration of grace. We live in the age of grace, the age in which God has atoned for the sins of the world. He's passed them over. And you and I get to enjoy and appreciate freedom and life and liberty. Believers are no longer weighted down by the rigorous demands of the law. We've been set free. Now, does this mean that the believer can walk around and do whatever they want? Of course not. Paul addresses that in Romans 6. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Of course not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? For he who has died has been set free from sin. The law no longer has jurisdiction over you because you live in the freedom and the liberty of Christ. And then the third thing that Christ accomplished by fulfilling the law of Moses, is that he came as the high priest to mediate the law. Just like the priests of the Old Testament, who would stand before God and stand before man, and they would mediate the law. Christ himself hung on a cross, suspended between God and man, mediating the law for us. Because up until that point, you and I were lost in sin and dead in sin, headed for hell. But as, cross, as Christ was resurrected or raised on the cross, he died for sin forevermore, and now he mediates the law for us. I love this fact, too, because it gives us hope. The way that all of this became possible is that as Christ died for sin, he was resurrected to new life. And in this resurrection... He rose above the power of the law. And what was the power of the law? Death. The law existed to condemn and inform you where you were wrong. And the wages of sin was death. And so all the law had power over was death. So in essence, as the firstborn from the grave, even death has no power over Christ. And in resurrection, as its victor, he secured the same for us. Christ, in Christ rather, death no longer has power over it. This is why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As he mediates the law through resurrection, you and I have been given the same victory that Christ does over death. Salvation. Victory is won. The war is over, if you will, between sin and salvation. The mediator of Christ now sits at the right hand of God and intercedes on behalf of his people. And that's where he is right now, mediating the law for you and I. As Satan comes up to the, law, to the, to the throne of God and he, he brings our names up, he says, you know what? Oh, so-and-so, look at him down there. Look what he's doing. L- look at her. I mean, they call, they call them, they, they say they're your people, but look what they're doing. He throws the law at us. The thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. Look at them. And Christ steps in as our mediator and says, I have overcome that for them. Death and the law has no authority over them. So get behind me, Satan. And he gives to us the victory. Oh, how I wish Christians would live in that victory. Not bondage to the law, not slave to the law, but in faith in Christ, living above those things. Because through the Through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Mosaic law was fulfilled. It was satisfied. And the victory is now won. As Christmas approaches, we we can remember this. The, the, The wonderful joy that is given to us by knowing this. That you and I have been given the freedom to live in the faith in Christ. That the law and that death and that sin and hell, they have no jurisdiction here because we are in Christ. Amen, church? Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you this morning for this word. Father, as the word of God has now been read in the assembling of your people, Father, I just pray that, that, that it accomplishes that which it wills. Father, that you are glorified by what we have said this morning that, and, and, and glorified by the responses that, that we elicit from this word. Father, it's good to know this morning that you, that you accomplished all of these things. Father, even before we had even knowledge of it, and even though we may not still fully understand it, Father, the law is now obsolete. All the laws that the Jews lived under in the Old Testament, they're no longer of any consequence to us because you fulfilled them all. You satisfied them all by your obedience to the cross so that me and my brothers and sisters this morning could live in freedom in you all because you secured it by your grace and you give it to us this morning to receive and father thus live under the freedom of Christ. Father, thank you for all of these things. And as, as we bring this hour to a close and, and, and we, we, we open up the altar of God, I pray that it be done in accordance to your will, that all obedience be in submission to you. But Father, most of all, that you are glorified by all that we have said and done in this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May his soul be rekindled with fire from Revive.
again.